All right, day 305. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to, to primarily look at it and see our sales. All right, so uh, today we are in um, Revelation chapters 5 through 8. And last time we left off on this cliffhanger, right? John has been taken uh, by the Son of Man into this heavenly throne room. Now, it's interesting that in chapter 4, I don't know if I put this out last time, in chapter 4, he says this is what he heard, right? But in chapter 5, he comes and says this is what he actually sees. And notice what he sees. Um, look at the text. It says this, uh, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll writing on both sides, sealed and with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. Sidebar, um, he says, um, in heaven, on earth or under the earth, Jews, ancient Jews, uh, and I guess, yeah, well, Christians too, uh, had this uh, concept of a three-tier universe. So you have heaven, earth, under the earth. And this is why Paul will say that, uh, uh, every every knee will bow. We tongue confess, right? That that uh, Jesus is Lord in heaven, on earth, under earth, right? And so John has that same kind of tripartite universe here, and um, it actually corresponds to the temple. Uh, so the temple you had the um, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place because the temple was meant to be uh, uh, an image of the actual world and the cosmos. So anyway, you you see uh, just interesting stuff there. He's he's steeped in the OT, right? So he says, then one one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. Look." The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, notice what the um, notice what the uh, elder said. He says he tells John about a lion from the tribe of Judah, right? He tells him, so he hears about this lion from the tribe of Judah. But then look at verse six. He says, "Then I saw." <laughs> so notice what he sees. I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. So he sees Jesus like a slaughtered lamb. Now, he's not literally a lamb. Jesus is not literally a lamb. It is imagery that harkens back to the Old Testament. But he sees this crucified Christ, right, standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which is the eyes of the Spirit of God sent to all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And so it's interesting that John sees um, a lamb, but he but he doesn't see a lion, right? He hears of this lion and he sees this lamb. What does that mean to say? You see the lion and the lamb imagery uh, kind of coalesce in this in this text. What, what the text is trying to say is that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquers, who is victorious and who wins, but he is the lamb who was slain because he conquers and wins and is victorious through his sacrificial death, right? So the cross then, so this is how we interpret the cross. The cross is not Jesus Look like he lost, but he actually won. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That was actually a victory. That was actually a victory over Satan, over sin, over the powers of death and the freeing of his people from bondage. Right. And so John is seeing all this. Right. He's probably like, yo. Right. And so, again, he has this scroll that he takes from the Lord that he opens. Right. Uh, Jesus opened and he is the one who is to open the scroll. What is the scroll? Well, the scroll represents the prophecies and judgments that are given from the prophets that Jesus is the one to be the final arbiter to display, to reveal, interpret and bring about in his own time. Right. So this is God's sovereign plan and destiny for the world. Right. That includes judgment, but also includes renewal, just like the prophets included judgment and includes renewal and so all of these images come from the old testament genesis 49 isaiah chapter 11 right and and they and they find their summation in the messiah right this messianic this messianic hope of the old testament right um is is uh is, is being fulfilled here in the person and work of christ and i love what it says at the end it says you are worthy talking about jesus to take the scroll and to open its seals why because you were slaughtered <laughs> and you purchased people for god by your blood from every tribe and language 
and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. You just see so much imagery from the Exodus, from the Passover, from the call of Abraham, right? The, the, the father of many nations. Um, and, and you see that, again, Christ comes to set up his rule on earth so that we can share in his rule on earth, right? God wants to share his power. <laughs> God wants to share power with us to reign and rule over the universe uh, as he intended for us ever since the beginning of time, right? Ever since the beginning of time. Um, so we see the goal was for Christ to conquer and rule over his enemies, namely the powers of darkness and the lamb, again, the, the, as, as a lion, right? And as a lamb, it represents the means by which he actually does so. Right. Dying and giving himself for the sins of the world. And actually, just can I tip my hat a bit? Um, the the whole goal of this is to, again, like most of the New Testament, to follow in the pathway in the footsteps of Christ. Right. So we are to conquer. He's calling us to conquer. So in the same way that Christ conquers, he says, no, no, you got to conquer, too. But you conquer by being patient and faithful and enduring, even if it costs you your life, chief. Right. And that is actually a victory <laughs> like that. You're not overcome by the evil, but you overcome the evil. Right. Through sacrifice. Right. That's, that's so crazy, man. That's so good. It's so beautiful uh, how it ties together. Uh, Revelation 6 comes. And this is why, where it starts to get tricky-er, right? <laughs> it's already been a little tricky. But um, I want to say this. In this middle section, we, we're going to have these seven visions of the seven seals. Not seven visions. We're going to have these visions of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Now, remember, he's steeped in that OT. So the sevens is, always, is already flowing from the OT, right? So the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, listen are not in a chronological sequence, right? They all depict the same time period or time span from three different perspectives, right? And so here in chapter six, he starts to talk about the seals, the seals that we just talked about, right? That Christ is going to open. And John will describe what he sees. Now, it's interesting that when he um, begins these, uh, this talk about the seals in chapter six, uh, many scholars have noted that uh, it very much parallels what Jesus says in places uh, like Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, right? And this is the Olivet Discourse right before Jesus is about to go to the cross um, and enter uh, into his trial and all that kind of stuff, right? Where he talks about the last days. And these days, um, I would argue, and many others argue, uh, are between his resurrection and his return, right? Which is the book of Revelation, right? And so these are con conditions, right? In realities that characterize the time before the end that's all he's trying to say right and christ will say in those texts that um after alluding uh, uh i guess to this text or vice versa however you want to say it um christ will say in the gospels that um these are birth pains right and the end is not yet and so you see in the first seal you see a white horse second seal you see a red horse third seal you see a black horse fourth seal you see a green horse and these four horsemen allude back to other apocalyptic literature right like Zechariah right um, Zechariah 1 7 to 11 you can read about the horsemen there and they allude to and point to again what Christ talks about the wars the famine the pestilence the persecutions the earthquakes all of these things that we are very much have felt right we we felt these sharp wounds of reality that are characteristic of our age and in the chaos and difficulty we live in and among but it's interesting that he departs in the fifth seal Right. And in the fifth seal, we see something different. We see the martyrs that are under the altar. Right. And so the first four seals are what is happening on earth. And this one takes us actually to heaven. So you see this kind of oscillation between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are going to come together. Right. This one takes us back to heaven. And you see the blood of those who have been killed for their faith and their testimony to Christ has been shed uh, or, or their blood has been shed. And they are in heaven crying out for justice. Right. So they ask in the language of the psalmist, how long? 
right? And God answers surprisingly and says that more martyrs must come <laughs> first and then the judgment. Now, think about it. This is written to persecuted Christians. So they're, they're hearing this like, yo, you saw a vision of the martyrs and they and they saying, and it's more more judgment to come. I mean, it's more uh, persecution to come. Right. Like that. That wouldn't have felt very comforting to me. Right. And this could have been disheartening. But um, it's interesting. The beauty of it is that the question about God avenging his people is a when question, not an if question. Right. Like, I think that's what John wants us to see. He's like, no, no, no. Like it is the creed, chief. Like it is the creed and the sealed prophecies and oaths of God that he will bring judgment, chief. Like, don't worry about it. So it's it just calls for you to endure, right? It's not a if, but it's a win. It's a win. It's a win. Six. He gives the description of the earthquake, right? The moon turned into blood. And this is what he says at the end. He says, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. I love this because the great day of their wrath. Notice he says their, uh, their, right? T-H-E-I-R, right? Um, talking about the lamb uh, and the ancient of days, right? The father uh, who has come and who is able to stand. He says, God's wrath is coming. His judgment is making its way to earth. And in the language of Malachi chapter four, remember uh, how it talks about the day of the Lord, right? Who is able to stand, right? This question is left hanging there. And then chapter seven interrupts. It says that 144,000 are sealed. Now notice how he playing on, on a language, right? It seals. And then he has 144,000 who are sealed from 12 tribes. Now it's interesting that he brings up the 12 tribes and then he numbers them, right? Similar to the book of numbers, right? How you had the, the tribes and the, and the military language. Um, and I think the military language is intentional because he's talking about the conquering, right? Obviously we conquer through sacrifice and, 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 and endurance and that kind of stuff. But um, there's this conquering uh, theme and imagery here. And so he, he uses uh, this military language, but the 12 tribes is very interesting. And again, why is this important? Because I think I think he brings up the 12 tribes to say, hey, um, I think I said this before, but the New Testament, listen, listen to me, listen to me good. The New Testament is a restorationist text, meaning what you have in the Old Testament is these prophecies about Israel's restoration. And so when Paul gets up and Jesus comes up, no, 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 no. Like they're saying it's here, right? The restoration of Israel is here. This is why, fam, in Acts chapter one, the, the uh, apostles are like, yo, like Christ. Are you restoring the kingdom of Israel this time? Right. And right after that, Pentecost happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so, so yes, like, yeah, yes, yes. Right. He's like, yo, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yes. So, so this is an, as uh, this is a 12 child restoration. Now, many scholars have even argued like, no, like Paul believed. And this is why in, in several places in the new Testament, you see people talking about the tribes they're from because Paul believed. Um, and I can't even go into all this. I don't even want to bring it up. Paul believed in the restoration of the 12 tribes, but obviously I guess we can share in shorthand. It included like the Gentiles, you know what I'm saying? And um, you see that here. And so the, the, the 144, again, is symbolic, right? Many people be like, yo, this is literal, right? Um, there, there, there are other uh, religious groups who have, try to argue for 144,000 people being in heaven, but it's like, fam, did you keep reading the chapter? Look at verse nine. It says, uh, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, <laughs> a vast multitude, right? So that's uh, Abrahamic language from every nation, tribe, people and language, which no one could number sidebar real quick one of the things that um is interesting obviously I, I i believe right the bible is clear that there's going to be a judgment look at the book of revelation right there is um a judgment for people who do not want god um however 
um, I think people fret over that reality sometimes because they think like, man, like, you know, yeah, people won't be in heaven. But the beautiful thing I think is so interesting to me is that he says that the New Testament is clear is that there will be an innumerable amount of people in heaven. Like that is amazing. Why? Because like, like it'll be, yeah, it, it, it'll just be beyond our capacity to imagine, right? Like it, it won't just be a you and a couple people from church, right? Like it is an innumerable amount. So God is doing so much more than we can fathom. I guess that's what I would say about that. Standing before the throne, all these, these, this, this, these folks standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes. Remember the purity language, um, with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation, <laughs> listen, belongs to our God. Check this, who is seated on the throne. Guess what? And to the lamb. So you see John's very, very high Christology, uh, um, uh, scholars would say that, that, that Christ is equal to the father, right? That they're both on throne salvation he says belongs to our god and to the lamb shouts of praise and worship will be so dope right that the angels got to fall in line we got to step back and remember that this was written to a suffering group of people right who 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 would have needed this encouragement about uh making it to and through the judgment right and i think what he's saying with this is uh again no no, no like we are people who uh will be able to stand the great day of the lord right like the judgment is coming and we will make it through it, right? Because we've washed our clothes in the blood of the lamb, right? Because, not because we're special, not because we're smart, not because we uh, are extra devoted, right? But because we've washed our robes in the blood of the lamb. Remember the exile, remember the Old Testament, right? I've always said all throughout the prophets, like, no, 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 like God's people don't, um, um, don't, don't, don't just, uh, withstand, right? Like, or don't just uh, experience judgment, but they actually make it through God's judgment, right? The exile was a very good, picture historical picture of god's people making it through a real judgment right and we do it through and in christ right i said to him sir you know then he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation they washed their robes and made them made them white in the blood of the lamb right and then he says they will no longer hunger they will no longer thirst the sun will no longer strike them nor will any scorching heat for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will, will shepherd them he will guide them to the springs of the waters of life and god will wipe away every tear from there uh so he says that man's blood or I would say that man's blood uh, stains, but Christ's blood purifies, right? And it's such a beautiful picture um, of eternity. And again, this interrupts the final seal. This is a vision of the coming uh, consummation of history. Every single sad thing will become untrue. Um, our tears have an expiration date. Our sorrows will subside. Revelation 8, final of this bunch. Um, after opening of the seventh seal, you have... Um, we have silence in heaven for half an hour and the seventh seal flows right into the seven trumpets given to the angels. Now, remember, this is a, a, another uh, picture of um, 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 the same reality from a different perspective. Right. And so uh, you have these these trumpets. Right. And, and it's an epithet, again, of divine judgments, which are, again, uh, uh, being displayed. Now, if you look at them, uh, it's very funny because they are in the language of the Exodus plagues of Egypt. Right. So remember, he's steeped in the OT. He assumes you know this stuff. So he says, uh, uh, verse seven of chapter eight, the first angel blew his trumpet in hail, right? Came. Then you go to uh, verse eight. The second blew his, uh, the second angel blew his trumpet in something like a great mountain blaze with fire was hurled into the sea. Uh, very interesting language there. He says, so a third of the sea became blood. Remember um, how the, the, the Nile River became blood in the Exodus narrative. And then you go to uh, verse 12. At the end of verse 12, he says, um, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them was darkened, and the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Um, 
and then you remember darkness. I think that was the ninth plague in the Exodus narrative. So you see the Exodus narratives there. And I think um, what he's getting at, and he'll get at this uh, in chapter nine, and we end on chapter eight today. But um, remember in the Exodus, the reason that God was sending plagues was to warn Pharaoh to let his people go. And that um, it, it was an act of patience on God's part because he was like, no, 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 like I'm, I'm trying to spare y'all. Just let my people go and we good, right? And I'm, I'm showing you all of these plagues as a small instances of judgments, right? Uh, as I said, they would come to give you an opportunity to repent, right? To give you an opportunity to repent. And I think the beauty of this being in the book of Revelation as well is that fam, even in God being really, truly holy and just, he is just as patient, fam. Like he is just as patient, bro. Like he is so patient with humans um he is as exodus 34 says he is slow to anger and god giving these um plagues fam are opportunities for men and women to repent and so today if you're listening to this and you don't know christ right or you may have been walking with christ and now you feel some kind of way listen god is giving you an opportunity he is so so patient he's giving you an opportunity to come to him to trust in him as savior and lord and as your very life let's pray god we ask that we will remember in times of hardship in times of struggle in times of uh, faithlessness how patient we actually are give us the grace today to